0: Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast, powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking the job at Nixon. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Cap. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry. All right, welcome back to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast where we try to find ways that we can get better every single day of our life and today's guest is gonna help us all. I guarantee you that. It's one Ashley Cromwell. I want you to listen to this. She's entering her eighth season of coaching football. Her most recent stop was as the offensive line coach at Oberlin College Cornwell has been an offensive line coach for the NFL International Player Pathway Program in 2023 and is scheduled to return in 2024. Prior to her hire at Oberlin, Cornwell was a student assistant coach at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where she helped on the offensive line, defensive line, special teams, and assisted in recruiting um, over her four seasons with the program. Uh, Cornwell has Also been a two-time participant in the NFL Women's Forum in 2022 and 2023 and was selected for Bill Walsh's fellowships with the Tennessee Titans in 22, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 23. Obviously, she grew up around football with a passion to play and coach football. Um, She also graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison with a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and International Studies with a focus on global security, which I have no idea what none of that means. She also obtained a certificate in environmental studies. So um, I think to say all that, you would not believe that she's also 22 years old and has accomplished that at 22. One of the things that I, I preach to our kids in our program and to anybody that you know comes in contact with me, that we have the ability to be and do anything we want in this great country within reason. You know, like, I'm not going to go play in the NBA because I'm 5'10". But if I chose to be a coach in the NBA, I could do that. You know, like, we can be and do anything we want. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you for agreeing to be here.
1: No problem. I'm really excited to uh, learn and grow with you.
0: Awesome. And this is also the first time that we have a guest sitting in to help me. And that's one Chris Yeager from Mountain Brook High School. Chris, welcome to the show.
2: Great to be here, John.
0: Well, I'm fired up to have the O-line Jedi uh, with us today. Um, Ashley, I want to start with a short story that I think you will enjoy. The year is 1989. I graduate from a Pearl High School in, in Central Mississippi, and I go to a community college called Heinz Community College at the time, is one of the premier junior colleges in America. Like, really, really good. Gene Murphy is the head football coach, Hall of Fame guy. Well, I remember going out for my first practice. All right, this is 1989. Like, you're not even a thought of yet, right? Like, this is not even – this is, what, 20 years before it's a thought, that Ashley's a thought. Well, I go out for practice that first time, and I'm with the O-line, and I'm going through some drills, and I hear a female voice – start screaming. And I'm like, that's weird. Cause I've been playing football since I was five years old. Like in 1989, I just, I stopped and I looked, well, it was our wide receiver coach. Our wide receiver coach at Heinz community college in 1989 was a woman named Dot Murphy. You need to write that name down. You need to Google it and you need to, she had, she had been a college basketball player, had either uh, played on the Olympic basketball team or the world championships basketball team so she had been a great athlete and when she started coaching football in 1984 she was kind of like a uh, maybe a volunteer assistant the head coach you know wanted somebody to coach the wide receivers didn't have anybody she filled in her husband went on to become the head football coach and she ended up working there for a long time now you know what is probably misunderstood is how great of a coach she was. You know, people at the time thought it was some type of gimmick. You know, the head coach, the wife, the she was a football coach. Like, she coached the wide receivers. She handled the kickers. She was in charge of uh, the training staff. Like, she was legitimate, you know. And I just, really, and I really, this is the first time Chris has heard this story too. Like, I just never really thought much about that experience until you know I started thinking about you know interviewing you for the podcast and I thought wow you know like and you are on the front end okay because as I told you before we started recording there are 15 female coaches out of 400 NFL coaches which is progress okay like and that probably just started it may have been was it Jen Walters that was the first one or it wasn't super long ago so but then I think about the trailblazer that dot murphy was we're talking about 1984 she was coaching junior college football and was fantastic now you would have to think that she was probably the first female to ever coach football wouldn't you in 1984
1: that's pretty close i just think that's so cool and i think that's like individuals like her i think have the biggest impact because you're talking about how people thought you know she's just a pr stunt but i think me, me too I think a lot of the women who are coaching football like that outside noise doesn't matter the fact that you as a player remember her impact on you that's the most important thing and that's like all I mean me personally I'll speak for myself that's all I care about right as a football coach and that's how you can tell she was a football coach she had such a great impact on you you know and and she was dedicated to the game so that's like that's an awesome story And the fact that that happened in 1984 is phenomenal.
0: No, she was fantastic. And she was obviously way before her time. Because if you go back to the 1980s, I mean, women have, you know, their role in life has changed tremendously in the last 40, 45 years, you know? So, I mean, she was truly a trailblazer. And she was truly a coach. And probably my favorite story, and she – I'm going to try to have her on the podcast too, but she (laughs) – One time I had a toenail cut out, and so she put me on the bicycle for practice that day because, you know, it had just gotten cut out that morning. And, well, Coach Murphy, the husband, comes over, and he starts, man, just getting in my tail about, man, you can't practice with a toenail. Man, I'm going to tell you what the miseries Coach Murphy did. She jumped all over his butt right there on the field in front of me, and she's like, this is my job this is what I do you let me do my job and you go do your job and don't say another word about it and man I sit there and just smiled me I, I was I was so happy that she was taken up for me because he was honestly making me feel like a, a wimp for sitting over there on the bicycle but she was a coach all right Ashley let's start here let's go back um your what are your first memories of football and how did football get on your map to begin with?
1: Yeah. um, So first memory was actually flag football, and that's how it got on my map. So I come from a really small town in Wisconsin. um, So everything was co-ed. So anything that my brother, I have a twin brother. So anything that we signed up for, like both of us were doing it at the same time. And then football is kind of in and out of my life. But uh, I was a huge Packers fan. So Aaron Rodgers was literally my childhood. That's all I watched. Um, We couldn't afford to go to the games. And a lot of the time we were hunting, too like in November. So we'd always have the games on the radio at noon while we're hunting, right? Low volume. So we could hear it in the, in the deer stand. But those are my memories of football. And as I got into high school, um, I always knew I wanted to coach. I was going to, you know, go into teaching at some point. And then I was like, I, I don't have passion for teaching a subject. I have passion for teaching a sport. And that sport was football. And that's what I Pursued. um, I started out actually coaching youth football, Um, got a little bit of taste in high school as also coaching high school football. And then I completely lucked out when I got to Wisconsin. I took a gamble on it. I applied to three universities, University of Alabama, University of Wisconsin, University of Chicago. And no offense, I was like, University of Alabama is going to be really hard to get my foot in the door to coach just because it's such a powerhouse. I bet everybody's trying to knock on the door. And I didn't know how I would be, you know, maybe accepted there. Wisconsin, I had a shot because I did know um, some individuals who had like very, very loose connections to the program. So when I got to Wisconsin, um, I had applied to be a ticket office person. I was like, any way to get my foot in the door? I got to work for the athletic department somehow. After about a week where I had accepted the ticket office job, a video job with the football team opened up. And then ever since then, I've been working for, well, I had worked for Wisconsin, like my entire student career. It was insane, but I got that is, lucky.
0: That is you awesome. Know. I have a couple of thoughts. You know, wh- what do you think the role of being a twin played in that? And, you know, your parents, how did your parents treat you when it came to, you know, I mean, I know sports were co-ed and I know, you know, you were playing and your brother was playing. And I, you know, when you're young starting out, like that's okay. Did, where did they, did they ever, you know, think, well, you know, you're a female and you shouldn't do this or you're or what were your, you know, what was, what was taught into you or caught from your parents?
1: Oh yeah. Like, we'll definitely have an open conversation about this, but um, first, your first question about the role of having a twin brother I don't know like I I was pretty much I remember like when we were growing up when we were like organizing our playtime, we agreed to one out of one hour of Barbie time and one hour of Lego time so like I definitely grew up playing with like Barbies and all that but um, I guess it was just normal in our household for like all that stuff to just kind of mix together to where sports there wasn't really a line drawn but my parents right and the co-ed part that lasted for a bit like through middle school and all that until we got to about high school Um, but I do remember when um I was playing tackle football in high school and I was trying to kick my dad was like, I do not think you should be playing football. He's like, I think you've gotten to the point where this isn't going to work. And when I look back, I understand that I'm five, four. Um, and there's people who are scared. I've had O-line coaches that I've assisted where they're initially, they're like, I don't want you holding the bag. And I'm like, listen, it's fine. But I understood where he was coming from. I was going against like six, four corners at some point as a wide receiver too. I was like, this is a bit obnoxious. Um, but just like thinking about it, I was like, even though my time has probably expired on the field because I'm, I'm real. Like me playing I'm five foot four, like one hit, I'm not going to last. I'm, I'm very, I'm real about that. Um, I was like, why not coach though? Cause to me, like coaching is teaching. And I think anybody can be a good coach as long as you dedicate yourself to knowing the game, knowing the technique and trying to get the best out of the players that you're working with. And then a lot of people ask me, like, why why don't you coach women? Well, I coach men because that's I grew up playing with men. I'm used to that environment. And I also I want to coach at a high level and division one that allows me to do that NFL that allows me to do that. Just NCAA. I'm working with men like that's all I know. Um, And that's what I'm good at doing. yeah
0: where did where did the love of football come from like I know you know you said you went to the Packers fans and you aged yourself by saying you're an Aaron Rodgers fan instead of a Brett Favre fan right like
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I like to say I'm a Brett Favre fan because he was from Mississippi and probably never seen Brett Favre play as young as you are but where did the you know because you think about this when you're young we're into a lot of things right I mean we're into Football, softball, you know, basketball, Barbies, like we're, we're scattered. Where do do you have a feeling of where the football thing, because I didn't know I wanted to be a football coach until I was in college. Like that thought did not like in high school, I wanted to be a doctor or, you know, some things like that. But I mean, you knew in high school, you know, like, do you know where that came from?
1: I think it's just, and we all talk about this. I think I hear this, like everybody who's in football knows that it's such a unique sport and I get so much hate from like basketball teams and and other teams that, you know, have like, you know, people that all need to be on the same page at a time. Right. But football is just, it's such a unique sport, like growing up and being a part of the brotherhood. I always used to joke, like I'm not a brother, but I get the brotherhood. Like I grew up in it. I was obviously looked at a little bit different, like the little sister, but being a part of that, that culture of football and what it does. And then also how much it pushed me to be a better person, and and the discipline that I learned from football that was very very important to me growing up, um, and that was something that I just can't leave. Like I love I love it too much to walk away, and I love what it did for me. And then the the fact that I get to be in a role, and I lucked out, and I'm blessed to be in roles where I'm helping. You know, athletes, college athletes and NFL athletes like fulfill their potential and reach their goals. Like that's amazing. That's Mm -hmm. something I don't ever want to give up.
0: Sure. You know, I think the majority of people, or at least the great ones that are in this business, they're in this business to see kids, young people, you know, advance, not just not just athletically, but you know, mentally, physically, you know, spiritually, like whatever it is, like we're in this business for the kids. You know, that's why we do what we do. Um, Well, in high school, when you make the decision that um, being five, four and playing wide receiver is probably not the best choice for you. You know, I think I read somewhere where you went maybe even to another city or to another and started coaching, I guess, youth Mm -hmm. football. Like tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So I wasn't the, the place that I graduated from, that wasn't the best place for me to, try to chase those dreams. So I did have to go. It was crazy. My chiropractor was a youth wrestling coach um, for the city of Reedsburg. And he's like, Hey, I know some people. He's like, why don't you just come coach? And it was crazy because I was like praying about it in the car as I was driving Mm. to the appointment. I was like, God, if I'm meant to do football, give me a sign. And I was like, all right, I'm taking it and I'm going with it. And ever since then, I haven't looked back on chasing the coaching dreams. And I started from the bottom And I did, I worked my way up. Then I went a little bit back down to the bottom in video and then just kept working my way back up. And that's really just how it's been ever since.
0: Well, there's two things you said that I think are phenomenal. Number one, and I and and Chris both, you know, are in the same ballpark as this, you know, God puts us where he wants us to be and he gives us the opportunities that he wants us to have. And you, you, you know, saying a prayer before you go in there and then running into, you know, the wrestling coach who recommends like, you know, that's a God thing because, you know, we can all look back on our life and, you know, there's one or two things that happened that totally changed, you know, the projection of our life. Let me ask you this because you've, I know you've, you know, I know you've felt this or, you know, had probably some inner battles with this What about like animosity, you know, because, you know, when you were, you know, growing up and you're getting into high school and, you know, you talk about like your high school may not have been the best fit. Well, there's a part of me that understands, you know, maybe what you mean is there are probably a lot of programs in the United States of America where females are not welcome, you know, and they're still thought of like you know, it's 1920, you know, like how have you battled that thought in your own head? Has that ever been an issue, you know, thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe this is not, maybe this is not my, or, you know, like, how have you battled that?
1: Oh man. Like you're talking about, those are thoughts that happen all the time. Um, just because of some of the no's that I've heard and the reasoning behind the no's, you um, But in the long run, I know that this is my purpose in life. So there's always comfort in that. And then two, I always just try to be patient and just to have a very empathetic perspective when I hear things like that. Okay, so you're not ready. That's fine. I'm going to go find the door that's willing to open for me. Mm. And you will see in the long run that I definitely wasn't going to be that bad of a choice for you. It's not like a stick it to them, but it's just like, hey, I'm going to go about carry on with my business and just keep rolling. And at least you told me that because I don't want I don't want to work for somebody who only wants to bring me in because I'm female. And I don't want to work for anybody that is willing to take an opportunity away from me because I'm female. I want to be hired because I'm a good coach and I'm I think I'm a decent person, not the best all the time, but I'm pretty good. And that's why I want to be hired, because I want somebody to at the end of the day, always just base their opinion on on those parts of me and not what I look like. Um, but and, and then those other thoughts too, like they're so fleeting because I'm like against that comfort of knowing it's my purpose and my passion. Um, but those are like where my mentors come in where I'm like, uh, you know, not that I mess up, but like, what do I do? Because it's sometimes it's daunting. Like you're sitting there and it's like, oh man, you know, I keep hearing no's, but it's not because I I don't know scheme and I don't know this. It's just people aren't comfortable. And then it's like, what do, how do, what do I do? How do I go about it? And that's how I deal with it, I guess.
0: Yeah, that is so good. Like you keep saying things that I keep sitting here taking notes, thinking, you know, like your perspective at, at 22 is phenomenal. Chris?
2: Um, Actually, I got to hear you in Nashville. You did a great job. Thank you. Uh, matter of fact, that's right in front of you. And um, but um, on four occasions, I wrote this down when you were speaking. You said on four occasions. I'm old school. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So so are you amazed that I remember that? Oh, let me say this too. You're Aaron Rodgers. John is Brett Farf. I'm Bart Starr. There you go. Buzzy <laughs> Thurston, Max McGee, all those guys. So hey, We're um, I'm a great big
1: guy. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. So we got it covered. But anyway, uh, you know, you said I'm old school. And yeah. I wanted to stand up and stop right then and just say, well, all right, so tell me. I've got an opinion what old school is John's got an opinion of what old school is I want to hear what a 22 year old opinion okay. of old school and John I want you to weigh in on this too because to me there's there's two things when you talk about old school there's old school in scheme and there's old school in the way that you relate to players and I and I thought what are you talking about there so talking about you said it four times I'm old school so go ahead
1: Oh man. See, and that's a label that my players gave me. So players that are the same age as me have labeled me as old school schematically hey, though.
2: How do they know what old school is? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, It's crazy. I know like the, the players who have specifically used that have definitely worked with like older O-line coaches. And I think it's one schematically, I am a little bit more old school. I was at Wisconsin. So I write, you know, two backs in the backfield running the ball that's that's I love that stuff that's that's me um passing the ball all the time that's a little bit harder because I again we had so much success at Wisconsin I'm like I love this why not just run the ball every single play um I think what they meant by like old school was just how I talk to them and maybe my personality on the field how I'm talking to you too is not how I talk to players especially on the field um there's definitely a line drawn uh, I'm very, I think, old school with my jokes, too. And maybe here's an example. might not be as funny if you're not there. But I had a left tackle, and he had a really bad habit with not having his hands in front of his chest. He's like, well, I don't know, coach. Like, he's just, he's one of the goofballs in the group. And I said, you know what? That's fine. I said, you get knocked on your ass every play and bull rushed every play. I don't care. I said, matter of fact, next game, I'm going to go find the D-line coach. I'm going to say that, hey, my, my left tackle over there, you see him. He wants to be bull rushed every play. So please make sure you tell your DN to do that so he can learn to get his hands in front of his chest. He's like, coach, you wouldn't do that. No, I did do it though. Like, (laughs) and he saw it. He's like, coach, don't do that. They're like, they, I think they just think I'm a little, I got like the old man jokes and that happens because I've, that's all I've been around. No offense to the guys I worked with, but you're talking about, you know, older forties to seventies. I pick up on their humor and some of their, verbiage that people just labeled me as old school and then when you talk about practice we go like it's there's no rest there's no break i'm definitely not one of the o-line coaches like I, it's don't waste my time we got to go and my guys got used to that too you don't get a redo on the rep you should have been paying attention the first time when i was going through it you should have been paying attention to the guy in front of you so it's a it's a tight shit. i think they'd say i'm new school in the meeting room and i'm old school on the field yeah
2: all right so i want to ask you this. Uh... And I would think this would be more along the lines of you just being 22 years old, but you're, you're the same age as they are, you know? And so, you mm-hmm. know, like right now in coaching, one of my thoughts in old school was John, I've talked about this, you know, long ago, they talked about, you know, you had to have this professional distance from your players yeah. and that's just not how you just don't relate to, you know, the, the youth of today, the young people of today, they're more connected you're just not that's not going to work today and so to me you know everything now is so relational and so but there is there is I think you know um there is this um you know you're the expert kind of thing but is is being 22 I mean so you know the the challenge of relating the relational aspect of that you know because you're you're almost the same age they are
1: yeah no that's definitely a fair question and one that I do get often one, when I was in college as a student assistant, I never drank, never went to bars, never put myself in a situation where I'm seeing players outside of the facility. Two, I was too busy to leave anyway, so that wasn't going to happen. Um, the biggest thing with me too, it's like really strict. You're talking about connectedness and all that, like social media, let's get real. You know, they're, I don't respond to any DMs from any players. Um, they all have my work cell, not my personal cell, if I can help it. Um, sometimes there's an emergency and they need it. And then just, I think, how I talk and carry myself um, when I'm around them and in front of them is the biggest thing. Um, Even though I'm the same age, they don't feel that if that makes sense. Like I'm not asking, you know, like, Oh, what are you guys doing? Um, Like after practice, can I come tag along? Anytime they have an interaction with me, it's as a coach. So I just put myself in that position and I've never had a player ever try to push a boundary inappropriately ever, which has been, Phenomenal, but I credit that to like me being at Wisconsin, right? Learning from the coaches, like how do you carry yourself in front of players? Where do you kind of draw the line uh, with guys and go from there?
0: Okay, Ashley, let me ask you this. Like, number one, I would say the way you carry yourself has to be phenomenal. But number two, so you're saying you've never had to, you know, like, hey, that's that's across the line you know like that because and I think back to myself when I was when I was 22 coaching high school football coaching 18 year olds there were times and it was probably me you know maybe I wasn't professional enough but there were times that I had to say whoa no we're not going to do that you know what I'm saying like because in high school it would be you know they find out what your first name is hey John and I'm like no we're not you know what I'm saying like that, we're not gonna do that you know like that's so you've not really had to do that ever
1: um so like if I'm gonna i guess like a few things with that if you're talking about like the the name thing um the higher up the level like a lot of guys call me coach but if I was like an assistant or like an intern in the NFL they called me ash but that that didn't mean that I still wasn't coaching them sure. um if you're talking about crossing i guess professional boundaries I've never ever really had to tell a guy I can't even remember a time where I'm telling a guy with me personally like hey you crossed the line right I do remember telling guys you need to go to class or you can't talk to that coach that way or you need to really adjust your attitude like I'm trying to help you out kind of deal or if you don't start showing up and doing this like I've been hearing some things so you know but um again I think it's just building the respect is where I don't have that problem and then also I always tell them you know, like be yourself around me. Um, I respect the space that I'm in. I understand I'm coaching men. So coming in with that perspective, right? Like I definitely, I don't get in a fuss about really much, if anything at all, like you're not going to offend me. I realize where I am and what I'm going to hear. Sure. Um, But if there's like, you know, if there's a, maybe one time there was maybe an interaction between a, a female trainer and a player, where I said, Hey, just in the, grander scheme of things right just understanding you're not talking to a coach or anything like that you were talking to a trainer um but that's pretty much it and again I think it just goes back to building that respect of one there's always like maybe like a day where it's like I got to build it right like they're testing you a bit with like how much do you know or like where have you been um but after that it's just show up I integrate myself into the space and we go from there
0: Hey, I must say this too. I'm a fan of running the football as an offensive line coach. I want to run the football. I want to, and I have this belief that it's not a hundred percent, but it's, I think it's high to win championships. You must run the football because at some point in time, you're going to run into bad weather. You're going to run into, you know, some obstacles or you're going to run into the quarterbacks just a little bit off, you know, which is what I thought with, with Washington and, and Michigan, Michigan ran the football. And I thought the quarterback from Washington, he was off just a little bit. There were a few passes here and there that he completed all year long and he didn't, you know. So, which has led me to this belief that you need to be able to run the football. Um, another thought, you know, and you, you are living proof of this. You, you can probably not even name a Hall of Fame coach that was a Hall of Fame player. Can you name one? Jaeger, this is open to you, too. Hall of Fame coach, that was a Hall of Fame player.
2: Guardian caps are lightweight, one-size-fits-all football helmet covers
1: for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive, subconcussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows, used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian caps can help protect that helmet investment.
0: I would argue that it may not even exist, okay, in the football world. And I say that to say this. The greatest players don't necessarily make the greatest coaches. You know, like if it was easier or if they – even if they outworked everybody, you know, the Tom Brady's of the world would have trouble going back in and coaching all types of people because he's one thing, great. You know, and everything in his life revolves around being great. Well, that's not normal. That kind of makes him a little abnormal. Now, I would say this in the basketball world, John Wooden, Hall of Fame player, Hall of Fame coach. I mean, I know him in the wrestling world. You have a couple. Dan Gables is one of them. I just think, I think because you didn't play high school football or you didn't play college football, mm-hmm. has absolutely nothing to do with how successful you can be, you know, moving forward in your uh, career.
1: I would agree. Um,
0: My next thought was this, you mentioned mentors. A, at 22, I didn't even know what the word mentor meant, okay, so I am jealous that I didn't know some of this stuff at that time, but, you know, like, who have been some of the people that you have looked up to and how do you do you go about seeking out mentors? Like how do you try to put yourself in the presence of the people that you know can actually add value to your life?
1: Right. There's like again, it people see everything. It's like it literally took probably close to 40 division one and NFL coaches to help me do what I'm doing right now. Um one of the biggest ones and he's passed away but I have like his um playing card and everything like he comes everywhere with me um it was Gary Brown so he used to be the running back coach with the Cowboys that was his last stop in the NFL he came to Wisconsin and he um he passed away after I think what was it the 21 season um he was a huge influence on me because of the standard he put in my head every time he talked about me and where I was going he was like he never put it in context of, oh, because you're female, it's going to, you know, you can go to the league sooner. It was you work hard, you coach, like, you coach very well, and you're always trying to grow. He's like, I know a bunch of people in the NFL who would love to have a person like you doing that. So he always put that standard in my head and just he he's like, I know you don't give a shit about, you know, all that. He's like, you're just here to coach football. But just remembering him and keeping that standard is what I think about a lot. um And then also how he carried himself. He was battling cancer um, for a very long time, and you couldn't tell. He was going through some of the craziest cancer treatments I've ever seen. I remember he showed up one time um, to a game after surgery. I can't remember what game it was. And you could tell, you know, he was like – he was still coming off some of the medication they had him on because he had to go under so they could do some surgery. But he was still there coaching his butt off, and he he never – I really flinched. That was the one time I saw where I'm like, oh, he's a little off, but that was because of the medication. But other than that, he was he was there, he was going, he was rolling, and then he passed away. Our season ended uh, around December because we went to the Las Vegas Bowl. He didn't travel with us, and he passed, I believe, in April. And it was just like nobody really knew, and it was just yeah, it was sad Um, because like I. All of my stuff that happened after I got the bill wash with the Titans. I got a bill wash with Tampa Bay doing the international player pathway program. Like even the convention I was thinking about, like I wish he was just here to see it because it's like he contributed to that. And yeah, Mm. that's sad. Um, We're talking about people that are like still around though. Um, Some of like my biggest mentors um, and just people who put me in a good position was like, definitely coach Rudolph. So he's O-line coach right now at Notre Dame. Um, we haven't like been able, cause we're working in different spots now, but he was always good about getting me involved and treating, definitely treating me like everybody else. I'll say that for sure. Put me on the hot seat, letting me know when I messed up very, very well. He did a great job making it known like just treat her the same way. She's fine. She don't. Need, she doesn't need any special treatment. And he was good at that. And and putting me in. With that being said, putting me in situations where it's like she can do this as well. And uh, I think one of my more recent ones though, right now is Bobby Ingram. He was re- most recently the wide receiver coach with the Commanders. But spiritually, he's been somebody who's gotten me tied in. So he's somebody that I rely on a lot. But there's so many people. Um, those are just some of the more prominent three that have definitely influenced me and helped me get to where I've needed to be.
0: Well, I think your, your passion and your, you know, concern and love for Gary Brown was obvious because I could see you start to get a little bit emotional talking about him. You I know, you know what? one of the greatest things that he probably did. and And again, that's another one of those God things, you know, the fact that, the man's put into your life because what it sounds like to me, he just compounded the fact that he believed in you. And when we as coaches can instill belief into our players, players can move mountains when they believe that we believe in them, you know, and it sounds like he definitely believed in you. And I would go one step further as that when you were on stage, that he was with you and he was watching everything you did and he was probably extremely happy. You know what I'm saying? Um, Let me ask you this going forward. um, One thing I've tried to do in my life and I wish I would have started this at 22, but I didn't, I was probably, gosh, I was probably 35 or 40 before I intentionally, okay. Like Chris Yeager, I have a friend who's the head football coach at Southern Miss and he's actually, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. He's coaching in Alabama at West, uh, West Alabama and at West Georgia as he's coming up. And I call him and ask him, I'm saying, who's the greatest coach in the state of Alabama? And he's like, uh, Chris Yeager. No, no doubt. I'm like, okay, well can you shoot me his cell phone number? Cause you know, the recruiting world, he has everybody's cell phone numbers. So I simply shoot Chris Yeager a text like, Hey man, can I, would you mind if I come over and spend a day or two? Mm-hmm. Like, Heck no, come on. So, you know, I just drive over, spend a day or two at his place, at his office. And, you know, like and now, you know, we have this relationship that started because I wanted to go put myself around people that were special. You know, so you at 22, you know, like how do you have you intentionally or. You know, will you intentionally put yourself in front of people that can make you a better offensive line coach? And if so, how do you how do you plan to do that? Or how have you done that?
1: That's a great question. I actually have a phenomenal example for that. Um, so when I was coaching some of the players last year for the IPP program, we were watching, I believe, it was the Bucks versus the Giants. I can't remember the year. I think it was 2021 film or something like that. And I saw something interesting that the Giants were doing with pass protection, where they were kind of simulating, you know, a play side pull by the guard. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to find this D line coach for the Bucks. So it's Casey Rogers. And I found him on Instagram and I messaged him. I said, hey, I have a question about scheme. Can you give me a call? For some reason, some miracle, this guy responds to me and he does call me. And um, he was, he even admitted, he's like, originally when you reached out, he's like, like oh my gosh like what is this you know what does this girl want that's literally you know he's like and he gets on the phone with me and we're talking he's like damn like okay you know something and um and we talked through it right like they were doing that because they had one of the best you know pass rushers ever they were trying to slow him down pin him all that stuff they're also trying to draw the linebackers down to get a pass off there's different ways that they were working the protection so we were talking through it but that helped me actually start a relationship with him talking more football, I get the D-line perspective, he gets the O-line perspective. We meet at the Combine in 2023, do some more talking. And then he was actually the person that went to Coach Bowles, who's the head coach with the Buccaneers, and said, hey, I think you should bring her in for an internship. Wow. And that recommendation was the only reason why I got that internship with the Buccaneers um, this past year. So, yeah, I don't know, but like, that's one way. It's, I've definitely, I don't feel shy about cold texting or cold messaging people. Um, cause most of it's like, I just want to talk scheme. Like this isn't anything weird, right? I'm just coach to coach. What's going on? What are you seeing? Um, and that's actually how I form a lot of relationships. Another one is Joe Houston. He's the assistant special teams, uh, coach with the Patriots, um, right now. And I messaged him on Twitter. I said, Hey, can we talk? Um, I believe he was at Alabama before he went to the Patriots. And we spent, I think it was a four hour phone call just talking about special teams one day. And he's a reference for me now. So it's, that's just how I do it. Um, I don't know why these people respond to me. I don't know if I would have responded to me if I were them, but they do for some reason. And it just goes from there.
0: <laughs> well, hence the reason why Chris Yeager is sitting on here, because he responded. And I have found this, people that are doing things with a purpose to serve others, yeah, they're going to take the phone call. They're gonna take the DM message. They're gonna take because they feel like that's what they're here for, is to serve other people. And, you know, that's what they're gonna do. So, you know, I would encourage you, you know, continue, right? I mean, that's one thing that you and I have in common. I am not scared to inbox anybody. I, when I started this podcast, my favorite podcast is The Learning Leader with Ryan Hawk. So I inbox Ryan Hawk, you know, pretty soon. I'm like, and I just because I'll do it to anybody, like it. I mean, it's like you. I mean, Jaeger sent me a picture, so then I get on Twitter and I locate, you know, your name. Somehow
1: find me, yeah.
0: I follow you, and you follow me back, and I send you a like. I'm not scared to ask anybody anything. Well, I, I inbox Ryan Hawk on Twitter, and I said, "Man, I've started this new podcast. You're my favorite podcast listen. Would you mind coming on?" And I promise you, it was like ten minutes. He said, and "This was like on a Thursday." He said, "Uh." What about Saturday morning? I'm like, I'm in. You know what I'm saying? So okay. if you ask, you never know, you know, like if you don't ask, um, you'll never get anything in this world. You know what I'm saying? And I have also found this there's a lot of people out there that their ego prevents them from asking. You know, yeah. like they're afraid if they ask somebody something, it makes them look weak. I just work under the assumption that I am weak and I need help because without others, you know, like I'm not going to be very good. You know what I mean? Left to myself. I was left to myself in college and I was much less than, you know what I'm saying? Like I was not a very good person. So I didn't have my life figured out at 22. Like, like you do. Um,
1: Well, and the biggest thing, this is crazy. Like growth mindset. That's like a huge word. Part of my coaching philosophy, progression whatnot like things that i try to give players is at least that concept of a growth mindset because the first time i ever learned that was in my ap chemistry class in high school i said lord have mercy this that class was awful um coming from somebody who actually enjoyed school it was i've never stressed out over class like that but our chem teacher bless his heart, was always like, listen, growth mindset, as he's, you know, giving us all F's on our tests and everything. <laughs> right. But that was the most important thing that I ever picked up from high school was that concept of growth mindset. And now it's kind of like going off the charts, like everybody's using the term growth mindset. But my yep. first time I ever heard it was my AP come class that everybody was failing. So, yeah, that, that is was
2: awesome.
1: The biggest thing that I've taken.
2: That is um, awesome. Chris? Yeah. Um, Ashley? Uh, John is an avid reader. He reads like 50 books a year. So give us your top three books. if you th- Because whatever you recommend, if he has not read it, it's probably going to be his next order. So on, on, three, oh, on three books. So.
1: Okay. Well, I don't do a bunch of reading lately. So my one and only book that I've been reading is actually <laughs> the Bible. Um, so if you haven't gone through that, that's my recommendation.
0: Hey, you know um, what? listen I am I'm an avid reader okay like I probably yeah. read closer to 100 books a year and I started that about I
2: That's don't know
0: 15 kid. 18 years ago I wake up every single morning it's the first thing I do and but at 22 I wouldn't dare read nothing you know what I'm saying like I, I wouldn't now if I was 22 that would be the first habit that I would install and not basically because of knowledge but because of the ability People learn through stories like we affect people with stories and stories come from books. And that's probably if I had one habit that I would have started earlier, it would have been that. And even if it was 10 minutes a day, you know, like I think that habit has paid huge dividends because I grew up as a fixed mindset. Like I just was like I didn't know because we are what are you know, what are conditions allow you know permit us to be and i grew up just pretty much really i thought fixed but then through reading i have totally flipped to the yeah. growth side of things and the the sky parted right the sun came out the clouds parted and you know it's a new world out there
1: um but I, I have
0: read the bible like i have in my this year i have sitting on my desk i'm gonna send you a picture of it when i get back i have this um study bible because. yeah It's about this thick. My preacher recommended it. And my goal for this year is for me and my wife to read that together more. Um, So, you know, the one regret I do have is I didn't dive into that earlier on because all leadership principles really come from that, to be honest. Like, there's great stories in in that book, too, you know, that we can use and learn from.
1: Have you, um, what about Kobe Bryant's book? Because I got that. It was like the mama mentality and all that.
0: I've not read it. And okay. I'm gonna be I honest. You, I was not a Kobe Bryant fan until I learned more about him, and now right. I am. You know, so that is a book that I will definitely add, one to,
1: add to your list. I'll be reading that with dude. you this year. <laughs> he
0: was a he was a different dude. Like he was his mindset was different. You know, like he was elite, and I didn't. You know, I didn't know enough about him to appreciate it until I did. And obviously now, one of my favorite videos that I show our kids all the time. Jermaine Hill on BET is interviewing Kobe Bryant, and she asked him the question, "What is failure?" And Kobe Bryant gets—I mean, he gets stumped. Like he don't even know what to say. He's like, "I don't understand the question. Like, what do you, I don't understand? Failure. Like, what is that a word? Like, and he just gets confused because to him, to quit is to fail. Yeah. But if you do not quit, you do not fail. So therefore, if you're never going to quit, you're never going to fail. You know, like." You got winning and learning, learning's winning. So it's win-win all the way around for him, you know? So I don't know. It's one of my favorite videos that I show the kids because I think part of having a growth mindset is the fact that, man, like we're going to mess up. Like nobody's perfect and it's okay. You know, when you screw up, figure out just like on that pass rush. I mean, when someone gets beat, right, there's two ways you can handle that myself 20 years ago would have cussed him out and been like, yeah, 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 You know, well, now we'll go to the iPad and say like, what happened? You know, like, yeah. how can we prevent this? How can we be better the next time? Like, how can, a growth mindset tells me to go to work on fixing a problem, not creating more of a problem by putting a kid back out there that, you know, now scared to make a mistake because coach is going to cuss him out. You know what I'm saying? Like, all exactly.
1: of that. That's that old school title probably doesn't fit me with some of my guys now because I remember the one thing I told him. I said, you false start, believe it or not, I ain't going to mother F you. I said, it's going to be very hard, but it isn't going to happen. I said, the reason why, I was at Wisconsin, not throwing shade at anybody. It was our last game, in Minnesota. We had a player who false started several times. And I think that was just because of the reaction that he was getting. And I said it was pivotal in that moment. If we look back in hindsight, I'm not saying anyone was a bad coach or a bad player or a bad teammate, but maybe if we told them, hey, next rep, instead of mm. add a few more words in there, maybe the outcome would have been different. I don't know. I can't say. I think that was a learning experience for everybody. And that, to me, was actually the only reason why I don't yell at guys when they fall start. And believe it or not, I don't have a lot of issues with guys false starting the room that I inherited at Oberlin had issues in the past. And when we implemented that rule, I said, anybody said the quarterback, running back, they can yell at you. Head coach can yell at you. I said, but me and the rest of the guys in the O line room, we don't do that when when there's a false start, just move on to the next rep. That's mentality. And we cleaned it up pretty quick. It's just, it is what it is. Like, that's how we handled it. That's definitely new school, but um, not old school. But that was something, too, that just a little story that I always share with the guys and why I don't do that now.
0: Well, I think my favorite from this podcast, this will this will be episode 70 or what have you. But this year, my favorite quote that I've heard is all behavior can be explained with enough information. All behavior can be explained with enough information. So to me, that would say if a kid jumps offside. If a kid throws an interception, if a kid misses a tackle, dive in and find more information, you know, like screaming at them is probably not going to change. It might, but it might not actually lead to the person understanding how to do something better. You know, we have this conversation in our house. We have our granddaughter lives with us. She's two and a half years old. And there is a thought that sometimes, she will do something to get a exaggerated response, you know, like, and then maybe, you know, I'm going to throw all these, all this stuff on the floor so that I get this big response from, you know, her grandmother or her grandfather, you know what I'm saying? Whereas if you just kind of, you know, dive in and try to, you know, handle that with a different tone. Maybe they don't react like that. You know, maybe that's not the way they grab your attention because they're going to try to get your attention, you know, one way or the other, whether that is good or bad. Um, So I thought that was a great story about the jumping off sides and the way we handle, you know, um, kids. Let me ask you this question. And this is one I've had several people on here um, that what I say, are breaking barriers um I don't know if you've ever seen Courtney Cronin on ESPN um she was a I got to know her when she was in Mississippi man she is an absolute rock star I've had her on here and you know we talk about women in broadcasting and how you know she has broken through some doors with the ESPN and this and that but they're not there yet because she mm-hmm. would say, you know, like we deserve a seat at the table. We deserve a seat, you know, with the, with the guys when they're talking about, because Courtney Cronin can talk NFL football with anybody and know exactly what she's talking about, because with ESPN, it's almost as if you have to have been a coach or been a player to sit at the table, you know, and her thing is why, you know, like, so we haven't, we haven't broken through yet. Okay. So this is my question. What, challenges do you foresee you know with your climb into you know college professional ranks you know like what challenges are you on the lookout for or are you aware of
1: hmm, that's a good question I mean really like the only things that I've ever really come across again like we've already kind of talked about it is the only reason why I'm ever denied an interview or denied a position is they just come back and say, Hey, like, we just ain't ready yet. Like full transparency. We're just not ready to have a female around the program. And it's like, and again, like I said, like my whole thing with that is, I don't get mad. I don't get, um, I mean, I'm upset. Like I wish I could, you know, work for you, but then it's like, when in hindsight, when you look at it, like, that's not where I need to be then clearly it's just all about, I think, reminding other people in my position to one, don't become spiteful because you heard that. No, um, don't close the door on people changing. And that's another thing about me. And I think that's what helped me out the most is I've walked into rooms before and I have had coaches look at me once the players leave and say, I don't think you should be here. I don't think this is a good idea. And instead of saying, Oh, like you're sexist, like that's awful. I say, listen, I'm here to work with you, whatever issues you have, you know, like let's talk about it. And I always tell them this, you're going to have my loyalty, you have my respect and you have my hard work and I'm here to help you out. And I keep pushing to grow a relationship instead of shutting the door on people. I think that's Mm. the biggest thing. And some of the people who have told me no to start or who've had doubts to start are actually some of the, the, the biggest and strongest people in my corner today. So it's just... My whole thing is, you know, there's always going to be somebody, even in this coaching business, the higher you go, you guys see it all in the news, right? Oh, this coach has this bad habit or this coach does this. I'm sure that's going to happen to me at some point. Like just, you know, somebody gets, you know, everyone is not ever going to be friends. Like there's always just that part of the industry that you got to deal with. But I think the biggest thing, and this could, you know, apply to people who aren't minorities or people who, you know, just anybody just don't become spiteful. Don't retaliate. And then my biggest thing is just approach everything with grace. You said that to me. I forgot about it. It's a new day. And I show up to your door and I say, hey, do you need anything? And like I said before, like that persistence has earned me um, some of like, like I said, respect. And some of the the biggest people in my corner today were probably the ones who were like, hell no on day one. And that might sound weird to some people, too. Like people might be like, why would you? walk back in the room then why would you want to be around that person well once because the head coach said I could be here so I'm sorry I'm in your room but then two it's like let's go like let's roll we're all pushing for these guys and for the team that's the biggest thing
0: actually this this could be the greatest thing that that I have learned or that you have taught me in this time we've spent together because I think that is very uncommon that when you are greeted in an unfair manner Mm -hmm. that you don't retaliate with something negative, because we don't, you know, like we don't control the people in the room, right? Like we can't control them. What we can do is if we respond properly, which is what you're saying is you're going to, you're going to give grace, you know, because the way they feel, man, it's not even really, all on them. Like they are the people that have preached into them and everybody can change. So when you show them grace and when you don't retaliate and get upset and walk out, you know, like what you do is you lead to changing how they behave. You know, like you can change outcomes. You can influence outcomes by the way you behave. And I think that is absolutely uncommon. I think the majority of people, when they are greeted with hate, and I'm not, hate's a strong word, if you're greeted with something that's less than, a lot of times we retaliate with less than, less than, less than, go, and it just, you know, like it ends up, nobody's in the room, right? Everybody's gone, you know? But when you do give grace, um, I think you influence those people in a different manner than if you just started out with you know you're a sexist or you're this or you're that you know like obviously i think that is absolutely phenomenal and that came that thought for me came from a book i read an abraham lincoln book and in the civil war he told one of his generals it's time to go go and the general didn't go he wouldn't go like he would not listen to the president right he didn't go well so Abraham Lincoln gets mad. He gets really mad, but he tells nobody, you know, like he writes the guy a letter, like
2: just
0: just giving him the blues because he's not in his presence. You know, he's sending messages back and forth and he writes this long letter, just dogging him out. Well, when Abraham Lincoln died, they found the letter in his desk. He never sent it. You know, and what Abraham Lincoln said was this, if I had been that general at that time in place in this world and lived through his life experiences, I probably don't go either. So he gave him a pass. He just gave him a pass. Now he did end up replacing him, but you know, like anger, anger's not going to get, you know, people to come together and do things together. You know, like that's never going to be the answer. I don't think. Let me, let me change gears real fast because I do have a question that this, I wrote this down. Because of something you said earlier on. If you're the O line coach for the Kansas City Chiefs or just anybody, and you can only run one play, only one, you only get one play. Power. One one play gonna be power. Oh my gosh. Okay, listen. (laughs) I'm a power guy. Like, man, that's my one play. Now, my man sitting down here, sitting there thinking, ah, No, it's outside zone. It's outside zone. It's outside zone. So like he's an outside zone guru. I like power, you know what I'm saying? Why power instead of outside zone, like tell Koreans why power is better.
1: I think, okay, it can fit uh, an O-line that might not be the biggest or most physical on the field. And if they are, then kudos to you, you got even more of an advantage, but just taking an advantage of natural angles, right. And leverage. And I think it's beautiful. I love taking away gaps on one side and adding it to another. I think that's probably one of the hardest things for linebackers to do is to fit and to react to that sometimes. So just always taking advantage of that. And I like schemes too. I understand, trust me, Wisconsin, we had a bunch of schemes that would hit on the outside. I love just getting the ball up the field though. So power mixes in you know, that upfield vertical push along with pulls and then adding gaps on one side, taking them away from the other. And then again, like I said before, that natural leverage. If I do, for some reason, have an undersized lineman, it works for him as well. But, yeah, that's my whole thing. Two yeah, back power you, specifically.
0: What do you What do you think about that, Chris?
2: <laughs> I, I think you explained it well. I think that's great.
0: I'll tell you the thing I like about power is, hey, yeah. it hits downhill right now. And if mm. you're committed to it, it's hard to stop. But B several years ago, I heard Nick Saban on a on an interview say when they allowed guards to pull and the quarterback to pull the ball out and throw it to a receiver down the field, the game changed. You know, so the stuff we do off of power, you know, the way we throw slants behind it on a football field, the guy who normally makes the most Tackles is the weak side inside linebacker. Like that guy, you know, like he just wreaks havoc. So, you know, just like every inside linebacker, when that guard pulls, that linebacker is told to beat his butt over there. Like go beat him over there, insert inside his hip, kill the play. Well, now if he does that, there's going to be a ball thrown right behind where he was oh, coming from. Yeah. So it has to slow him down a little bit. But I'm also, I'm I'm getting on board my my man's outside zone, too. We ran a little bit of that this year and had some success with it. But, you know, like if you're going to run something, you need to be a master of what you're running. And I'm, I'm, I call myself a master of power. I'm not a master of outside zone. So I'm actually going to have Chris come spend some time in Nixon, Missouri, and coach us on the outside zone so that, you know, that is something we can get better at. Well, Chris, any parting shots, man? We have this has absolutely flown by because it's been fantastic. Like I've enjoyed it, and I feel like um, I will probably be reaching out to you at some point in time after this so that we can discuss power a little further. Um, I have no issue having a twenty two year old mentor; (laughs) like it's right up my alley. I can care less how old (laughs) anybody is. I just want to get better and learn. So. You know, I I will be probably I, I will be reaching out to you because I'm not scared. Now you can yeah, you can obviously say no, and no is an answer. But you know, no, I'm
1: always open to to talk ball with people. That's my I'm biggest. Pretty, thing.
0: I'm pretty persistent. All right, Jaeger. Yeah. Any party shot parting shots? Anything on your mind that comes out as we uh, close up?
2: What one last thing, Ashley? Is um, you know, it may be true in all sports, but I think it's especially true in football. How? the thing one of the things i love the most you know it's one it's the ultimate team sport but two you know through the years you know i've noticed how you know teams take on the identity you know of their coach and so i guess this would be two questions is number one you know uh and i think i know the answer to one of these but one you know what would be your identity that you want your players to take on you one and then the other is this do you ever feel Pressure, And I'm not saying that you succumb to it, but do you ever feel pressure to be anything other than who you are? I mean, do you feel that? I'm not saying, do you answer to that? I'm just saying, do you feel a pressure to be somebody or something different than who you, even though we have mentors, we're changing. So anyway, those are two questions there.
1: That's good. I'll start with the last one first. Like authenticity was always like something that was preached to me and um, like building my confidence and everything is um, that was actually the biggest thing, biggest coaching point from Tennessee. It wasn't that, you know, I had a hard time down there, but I was told you could be a little bit more confident. So like having that turnaround and then presenting at the AFCA, right. Like, but my whole thing with that, all that being said is I don't, um, if anything, I've been encouraged to truly just be myself. Um, and like I said, I've said this a few times too, like this is definitely, this is my purpose. This is my purpose in life. Um, and authenticity is also why I build such a good relationship with players and and with staff and with anybody that I, I come across. Is I'm always gonna be real. I might tell you a little bit more than maybe what you want to hear, maybe what you wanted to even know to begin with. But at least I said what I said, and you know where I stand. Um, and then the personality, uh, it's always apparent in my guys. Some people might say it's feisty. It's not my guys. Like they show up. Um, Like we're here to play ball. Uh, the one good quote that I love from coach Bowles, he was like, you know, we don't, you know, we don't start anything. We don't do that. He's like, but we don't got to take shit from anybody either. And that's really how my guys are right. They're disciplined, they're controlled on the field, but you ain't gonna, you know, talk to us a certain way or treat us a certain way. We'll settle it between the lines and when the whistle blows, but yeah, my that's the personality that my guys have and they're always trying to get better. Um, it's phenomenal too. Uh, just like how much, even my first room, how much they changed when I walked in. They weren't really, I remember my first day, I was like, we got to talk some more shit. I was like, y'all ain't, you know, getting in each other's face. I was like, it's time to, you know, it's like, even as a joke, I was like, just start talking, just start like, this is supposed to be fun. Just play the game and let's just, let's just get it rolling. And that's really like what I try to bring to the table with my players. Kind of that attitude on that field, the confidence, right?
0: Well, like Chris said, they take on our identity. And I would think just from this time we've spent with you two things they're going to identify as, is they're going to be tenacious because I believe you are tenacious. You are, you are a lion. Okay. And the second thing is the growth mindset thing. They're going to take that on because you know, that's who they're around and that's what they portray. Chris and I are reading a book right now called the second mountain. And you've said the word purpose three times on purpose and the second mountain is a book about we as humans climb this first mountain of success of position title money cars houses what do we look like what are we what's the postcard picture what's you know but then when truly we find joy we are climbing that second mountain that second mountain is when you are doing something for a purpose on purpose. You know, when you're living in your purpose and you're climbing that second mountain, you 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 are significant more than you are successful. And you are plenty successful along the way. Like people climbing the second mountain, man, they're successful too, but they're not doing it for the title. They're not doing it for the rings. They're not doing it for the money, for the pay raise, for the they're doing it to make a difference in people's lives because that's the purpose that they feel like the good Lord put them on this earth to do. And, you know, I just wanted to say you spending this time with you, I feel like at such a young age to know what your purpose is and to be living through your purpose with the mentality and the uh, personality that you have, I would assume that, You are going to go far in this business because you do happen to be living in a time where it is possible. Whereas 75 years ago, probably not possible, right? Like someone like you gets rejected enough that eventually even your tenacity is like, okay, I can't do it. Well, today you can do it. Like I have another friend, Sarah Thomas, the first NFL official ever, right? Like you want to talk about breaking barriers man she had challenges like getting into that field of work you know when she did man she was kicked around a good bit you know what i mean but she just kept chopping she just kept working and did not meet the adversity with a negative attitude you know and eventually that wins out you know which is why i think you have a lot of great things in store for you and i'm super appreciative of you allowing us to have this time today because you have made my saturday morning better like i'm gonna have a better day today because we had this conversation and you know i'm so excited about that chris
2: i'd enjoy it i tell you it's been uh insightful and uh inspirational i hope this podcast will reach out there to a uh some little girl somewhere that dreams, you know, that's got a twin brother that that she's every day she's thinking, Mm -hmm. man, maybe that's a path that I can go down. And so John's podcast has reached far and wide and somewhere out there. There's somebody this is going to really, really resonate with.
0: I believe Uh that Chris. And I I, I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate you Ashley for coming on the show. Any last words you'd like to say to that little girl out there that's going to get this podcast thrown her way?
1: man buckle up like if you're if you're serious like if you want to change the world you know buckle up but always at the end of the day remember your why that's the mm. biggest thing remember your why why am i doing this and it's it's easier to pursue something when you're serving others and not yourself
0: hey, so amen that, like, Wow. that's a great one to end on man i want to say thank you to you know Ashley thank you to Chris i want to say thank you to everybody that listens man i'm so grateful to have the opportunity to you know, throw something good out there into the world. And as always, man, like share this, if you like it, send it to a friend, please send this one to, you know, some little girl somewhere that, you know, maybe struggling to find out what her why is or what her purpose is, or that feels like there's something that, you know, she can't do, man, send them this, you know, clip it up and send them the good pieces of it. And as always, you can reach out to me if you ever need me. Until next time, adios amigos.